that's another way that you could help with that is, is there. So, um, well, so last week we started talking, uh, we, did, we did started a new series dealing with vineyard values. And I shared with you that the, uh, the, the kind of national leadership of the, of the Vineyard USA has rewritten uh, our values, uh, value statement and, and uh, the, the values that are kind of generic to Vineyard this past year. Uh, they, they haven't changed in the sense that they didn't say, well, we're pitching the old ones, we're doing it. They really just sort of reworded them and, and combined a few. And so I felt uh, that it would be, one, good for us as a local Vineyard church to look into those and to be familiar with what the, the, the values of the Vineyard are. Because it's, people will ask you, what, what is a Vineyard church like? What's it about? What's different from that in, in a Presbyterian church or an Episcopal church? So these would be the answer to that. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. And then also, I felt like as a local church, it would be good for us to just sort of refresh uh, ourselves. Who are we? What are we for? What are we about? And so, so those are the things that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. Really, in, in essence, kind of, what, what are we about? What are we, what are we here for? You ever wonder that? You ever just go, what am I here for? Uh, I, I hope that, uh, you know, last week, beginning last week and tonight and on over the next uh, couple of months maybe, that we can kind of answer that. What, what are we about? What are we doing here? What's the purpose? Um, those are important questions, really, at the end of the day. When, you know, you, as a, a, a Christian, a believer in Christ, somebody who's seeking God's kingdom and endeavoring to walk in his His will and his way and his word those are important questions so um, that's that's what we're talking about that's where we're going we started last week with um, the first of five values kingdom theology and practice and i got about halfway through and realized we're not going to finish so tonight is really a a review uh, a, a review and a continuation of last week now kingdom theology and practice is is uh, of the five, probably the one that is the most foundational to the others and the one that is the most important for us to, to really have an understanding of. It, it also is, is one of the more difficult things. You know, the kingdom of God is, is mysterious. And, and it's, uh, the kingdom of God is challenging at times to really comprehend. And I don't know that we fully can understand all that it means to enter into God's kingdom, but I think it's important. And, and that's why we'll, we'll spend some time on it now and, and also probably in the weeks ahead. Um, let me real quickly review what I covered last week, and then we'll, we'll move forward from there tonight. I, I really would love, I love to study uh, the kingdom and to, and to think it through. I love to dialogue and talk about it. If, if you have questions, if there's things you're going, man, I don't get that or whatever... Uh, I would love to chat with you about it over a cup of coffee. You guys know that I'm a cheap date. Uh, the, the, the price of an Americano is really all it costs you to, to sit down with me. And, um, and I'll even buy, I guess, if, if it comes down to that. But, but I would love to talk about these things. And, uh, and I would love to refer you to some, uh, to some reading and some other things. I'll, I'll do that a little bit tonight. But there's, there's tons of stuff that you can look at to help your understanding. So... Uh, by way of review, though, what we talked about last week, we began with the parables of Jesus, you know, the, the, the pearl and the treasure. And we said that the kingdom of God is the pearl of great price. So, so let me just quickly say again here that the, lots of Christians will quote that parable and say, you know, talk about the pearl of great price. 
And I've heard any one of about a dozen different things referred to as the pearl of great price. And, and in a sense, I, I know what people are saying when they're saying that. They're saying this thing, whatever it is that they're talking about, is something of great value. But in reality, in the parable itself, Jesus says the kingdom of God is the pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is that thing that is of great value, exceedingly beyond anything else. It's the kingdom of God that is worth selling everything you have for. And, and so, uh, you know, again, if something is of that value, we should really have a good hold on. What is that? What is he talking about? So first and foremost, the kingdom is that pearl of great price. It's also the hope of God's people. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel looked forward to a time in which, you know, all things would be restored and God's kingdom would come. And, and we'll talk tonight a little bit about how that hope that Israel held is still the hope of the church today. But the kingdom of God is the hope of God's people. The kingdom of God is central to Jesus' mission in the world. Jesus came preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Virtually all of his teaching involved helping his followers understand how they could enter into the kingdom. The parables that we have looked at and will continue to look at are illustrations of kingdom truth. The works that Jesus did... You know, whether he was healing the sick, feeding those that were hungry, casting out demons, uh, on rare occasions raising the dead, or whether he was extending the love and grace of God to a person that had been marginalized by others in society, all of those are works of the kingdom. They're demonstrations of the kingdom. So what, what was happening in those moments was the kingdom was in fact coming. The kingdom of God was was being manifest or made real. So central to everything that Jesus said and did is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is not a physical location. And as I told you last week, you know, we, we don't live in a kingdom. And so it's a bit of an odd concept for most of us. Uh, I think, quite honestly, you know, the Brits get it a little better because they have a little bit more of a concept of the kingdom than we do. But when we think of a kingdom, we sometimes think of a place, but it's not a place. Uh, it, it's, it's really something different than a physical location. It, and, and I would say it transcends location, the kingdom of God. Transcends location. What it really is, and, and, and this is consistent with uh, what, what Bridget shared earlier, is it's the power and authority of God. It's, it's, it's the manifest presence of God becoming real, being made known, being actualized in a person's life at a given time and a given place. And that happens in any number of... Of, of different ways. And so you can kind of sum up last week by saying the kingdom of God is the rule, the reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign, the power, the authority, and I, I would add presence to that of God uh, as it becomes real in a person's life. So I want to continue tonight and um, further our talk on the kingdom and look at, at another aspect of the kingdom and hopefully, hopefully, uh, in a way that you guys will, will uh, be able to grasp and understand. And I want to talk tonight about the time between the times. Um, the, the kingdom of God, throughout the New Testament, and, and, and really the Old Testament as well, but the language in the Old Testament is, is, is different. It's, it's not as, as clearly defined as it even is in the New Testament. But throughout the Bible, the kingdom of God is expressed in terms of time and, and in terms of different ages of time. And, and this can get really confusing. 
if you, and here's a great study for you sometime uh, if you're interested. Um, just if you, if you can use a, you know, a Bible search engine or even a, go old school and, and use a concordance. But look at all the places just in the Gospels that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And if you read those, you'll see Jesus say things at, at, at sometimes like, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's here right now. Other times he says things like the kingdom of God is at hand or it's near or it's soon. Other times he says things that sound as though the kingdom of God is somewhere in the future. Sometimes it sounds as though the kingdom of God is coming but not quite here yet, like it's been delayed. And so you read those and you go, okay, Jesus, what, which is it? What, is it now or then or later? And it, it can be very confusing. But you, you, you do get the idea that what he's talking about is, is periods of time. And we'll look at that tonight. And if you do that study, I think it'll, it'll be interesting, maybe confusing, I'm sure a little bit, but maybe enlightening as well, to begin to understand how the kingdom of, of God works. And so, let me say this. You know, after many, many years of, of really studying Scripture and gra- trying to grapple with the nature of Christian life, I have come to the conclusion, which really is the, the conclusion that um, this value of the vineyard comes from, and that, that's consistent with, uh, you know, vineyard theology, is that the kingdom of God really, really is uh, the most important thing to grasp in understanding what it means to live as a Christian. It, 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 it's, it really makes sense of some of the passages in Scripture. You go, well, I don't get it. And when you, when you read it kind of through that lens of the, of the understanding of the kingdom, you go, now I do get it. And I hope you see that a little bit tonight. I hope I'm able to help you guys with that process a little bit. I want to begin with a verse in Galatians. Let's read it first, and then I want to comment on this. Um, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Two things. First, Paul is saying to the Galatians here that the purpose of Jesus, what Jesus came to do, was rescue us from the present evil age. What he came to rescue us from was actually the time frame in which we are currently living. All right? Second, what I want to say is this, that this is in Paul's salutation. It's the greeting of the letter. It's not the body of the letter. And I mention that because I believe that both the writers of the New Testament and the recipients of the New Testament, that this, this, this what we're talking about tonight was understood. That they, it was just under, he, he, he would have known that they already know what that means. Okay. And so, when we don't have that same level of understanding, you know, we would like things spelled out. It's not always spelled out. So, point being here, Paul says, Jesus came to rescue us from a period of time. Another verse that, oh, so uh, again, I was going to mention the, the word age there is the Greek word aeon. We'll talk about that word a little bit tonight. We get uh, from that same root word, the English word eon. You know, you talk, you talk about an eon and an eon is an undefined but long period of time, okay? It's not like 1,000 years or 2,000 years or 10,000 years. I think in, in astronomy, it's actually a billion years, but in, in just normal language, 
it's just a long time. So an age is a long time, but we don't know when it will be over. A couple more illustrations. Here's a verse that many of us are familiar with. We've probably read and studied and memorized this and done studies on it, Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the word world there uh, is the same Greek word aeon again. So if you read that literally, it would say, do not conform to the pattern of this age. And when we think of that, we think of don't, be, don't conform to the world, and we think of the pattern of the world as sort of just the way it is outside of Christianity. What Paul is saying here, actually, is that there, there really is a pattern that's established at this time in life. There's, there's a way in this era that people live that, that we're not to, that's what we're not to conform to. So again, it's a linear kind of time language he's using. Another one here in the parable of the weeds, Jesus says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And the phrase there, this life, is actually also that Greek word aeon. So again, that would say that the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this age, this this dispensation, this time period, have choked those things out. So what do we know about this age, the time we live in? Well, well first thing is it's evil, right? It's an evil age. Evil exists. A- and if you're like me, at times it, you feel like evil not only exists, but it's rampant. It's just everywhere. Evil is out of control. There's so much evil in the world. You, you, you shudder and sometimes feel like, I need to just, you know, build a fort and lock myself away. Uh, and, and evil affects us, doesn't it? It affects our lives. It affects all of us indirectly. Everyone is affected by evil indirectly. Most of us have probably at some time been affected by it directly. We or, or a family member or someone we love has be, been victim of circumstances that have come through some evil thing, whether that's a murder or a beating or a rape or whatever. Even in, the, you know, even in war, we, we look at is war inherently evil or not. We know that in the age to come that war won't exist, and it certainly is not a pleasant thing for anyone. And so we can say that even, in, you know, even war, if you have a, a loved one or, or have been in, involved in war yourself, you know that, um, that that too is part of that thing of, of, of being um, affected by, by evil in the world. Now, what I want to say is, that's not random. It's not just random that evil things happen in the world. It's not just happenstance that these things happen. There, there really is a program. There's a plan afoot to bring about evil in life. Um, and, and, and the next thing that <coughs> I want us to see is that not only is there, is there a purpose and a plan for evil in the world, but there's, there's somebody in charge. Okay? There, 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 is a, there is an evil entity that's working to perpetuate that evil. Second Corinthians 4 says, the God of this age, that's little g God, the God of this age, so there's a present evil age and there's now a God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So there is, a, there is a, there, a purposeful evil in the world, and there's a person or, or, a, or an entity behind that evil. 
another verse in Ephesians, uh, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So Paul, the same author, both verses referring to that same entity, the God of this age here as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, <coughs> spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Also point out here that the, the word ways there, when you follow the ways of this world, is also that same Greek word aeon, meaning age, so when you follow the age of this world. So again, there's just this idea that he, we're really looking at a, a time frame in which uh, there is evil and, and there is a force behind that evil. So just like we understand that not all good is natural, right? There's good things that are supernatural, right? If we pray for someone to be healed and they're healed, that's a good thing. But we understand that that's a supernatural thing, that we can't cause that to happen, right? That, there, that, that, that the power of God is behind that. Well, in that same way, there is evil that happens in the world that's not just natural. You know, I mean, we've, you've heard the, the saying probably, uh, good people do bad things. So sometimes, a, you know, somebody that's a good person does a, does a bad thing. But beyond that, there's another realm where there's evil things that happen that are perpetuated by the power of darkness, by the ruler of this age. And that's the world that we, we live in today. The, the idea, you, you ever notice, th- there's a battle, there's a conflict between good and evil. And that's sort of, isn't that kind of the underlying story of everything, right? Every, all the books, all the movies, doesn't matter if it's Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's a battle of good and evil. And, and that story resonates in our heart. When you, when you see that story, when you hear that story, you go, that's, that's true, that's real, that's, that's the way it is. There, it's because we understand, even spiritually, that that battle is real. It's out there. It's happening. I already have one. Thanks, Hall. that battle, the reason that our hearts resonate, the reason we love really those stories and the reason we know there's something in our hearts that, that says that's real is that it is real. There really is a battle. There really is a battle between good and evil. It's worked out. It's visible. We see it. It's worked out in life. But there's powers behind it. It, it, it has a supernatural reality to it that, that's happening at the same time. There, there is a conflict and a battle that's going on all the time. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says, put on the full armor of God, now we understand that he's not speaking literally, right? He's not saying, put on your helmet, put on your breastplate, pick up your shield, pick up your sword. But we also know that even though that's a metaphor, it's not, he's not really saying put on your armor. He is. He is saying on a spiritual level, put on your armor. The battle is real. There's a real battle. It's, it's really, really happening. And so here's the thing. And, and this is where, this is what is unfair. This is what's unfair about the Christian life. Is that nobody tells you that. Okay. I, lo- I love what Derek Morphew says. He, he says that 
you know, people share with you about becoming Christians. They come to Jesus, all your problems will go away. Your life will be wonderful. He says they never tell you that you're spiritual warfare looking for a place to happen. But that really is the truth. That's the reality. When we come to Christ, we enter into that battle. And here's, you know, a little side note. We not only are in the battle, we, we are the battleground itself. We're the battlefield. We're what the powers of good and evil are fighting over. The enemy, the God of this age, says, I want your life. I want to take your life and pull it right down into the pit with me. And Jesus says, no, I've come to redeem that life and pull it out of the pit. And so not only are we fighting the battle, but we are the battleground. We're the very thing that those powers fight over. There's a conflict going on, and, and, and whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we're, we're in the very center. We're in the heart of it all the time. I want to recommend a, a book to you. I don't know if any of you have ever read this. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit older, late 80s, I think. Chuck Colson, some of you remember, was, you know, Nixon's, uh, I don't know what he was. He was his henchman um, in Watergate. Uh, and Colson was arrested for his crimes in Watergate, went to prison, in prison, met Christ, and then was uh, later released from prison and started an organization called Prison Fellowship, who ministers to those in prison, and uh, also has written a number of books. And Colson, you know, whatever you may think about him, is, is a brilliant mind. He, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. And so this particular book, Kingdoms in Conflict, he grasps this understanding of the kingdom very well. And, and it's really, it's not a theology book. It's, it's, a, it's, it's stories, it's true life stories of the way in which that conflict is worked out in the lives of people and how we as the church and as individuals can, can fight that battle. And he talks about things. Again, I think it was somewhat prophetic 20 years ago about social justice, about you're in the battle. And when you care for the poor, you're, you're taking ground back. And, and those kinds of things. So I just... I think it would help your understanding if you like to read. You know, you can buy them on Amazon. Use about four bucks. That's what that is. It's a used one. That's all turn up. Uh, let's uh, let's look at another parable. Parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven. And remember last week we said the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are the same thing. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads then the weeds appeared also any gardeners here any gardeners identify with that little bit there uh you know i I, this is amazing i love you go out in in you know in spring and you till the garden and you clean it all up and that's my favorite phase actually before anything grows i love clean dirt I, i love to just look at the dirt Perfectly level, clean dirt. It's all beautiful. I love that. But then you put your seeds in, right? You put your seeds in the ground, and then you wait, and it rains a little bit. You go, good, the rain's going to water my garden, and you're all happy. In a couple days, you go out and you look at your garden, and what's there? Weeds. Where did the weeds come from? I didn't plant weeds. They're here. Uh, So that's what happens. Now, understand here, the the farmhands, the owner's servants came to him, and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? 
So the farmer sowed good seed. It wasn't bad seed. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, weed seed. It was good seed. And he says, an enemy did this. I sowed good seed, but there's weeds growing, and, and, and they're not random. They didn't just come up probably like the ones in your garden did, but an enemy put them there. Now look at the conclusion to the story, which is important for us. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So today, in this age, the wheat and the weeds grow together. Good and evil are simultaneously happening at once. Good seed is planted in our lives and through our lives and all around us. And no matter how well we tend the garden, sometimes weeds pop up right next door. Sometimes evil is lurking around every corner. Now, this is not a full explanation, but it's at least the beginning of an explanation to sort of that age-old question, why do bad things happen? Why does God allow... Why? 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 Why, why, why does evil, why is there war, why is there terrorism? How could those things take place in this world that we live in? How could so much abuse and harm happen to innocent people and innocent children? Why, why are these things? And, and the reason that those things are is because the wheat and the weeds are growing up together. Because in this present evil age that we're in today, both are still existing. Now, it's, it's important that we understand. And here's where I hope to try to make some sense of this. We, we live in a, a present evil age, but we also live in a day when the kingdom of God has come. Now, it's, it's not in its fullness yet. It's not completely developed, but it's here. And so there, there is good that takes place. There are victories. There, there are wonderful things that take place. We still, like ancient Israel, look forward to a day when the weeds will all be gone when the bad things will go away. We look to a day when all things will be reconciled to God. When, when we looked at last week, when not only humanity, but all of created order will be made right before God. We look forward to that day when those things will be uh, so, so made right that it's, it's hard to even understand. You know, the whole thing of the, the lion and the lamb lying down together. Well, how is that going to work? Well, we don't know, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and we look forward to that day but in this day, both exist together. Both exist together. Jesus talks about two distinct ages of time. In Mark, he says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. I love this. Along with persecutions. So again, he's just identifying in this age, you're going to get the good and the bad together. And in the age to come, eternal life. In Matthew, he says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. 
I'm not going to touch those theologically tonight. I want you just to understand that Jesus clearly defines two separate ages of time. So, when does that happen? When, when does the one shift into the other? It's a great question. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So the disciples understood that the end of the age was simultaneous with Jesus' second coming. Okay? So at the second coming of Christ, that's when the age ends. Uh, he answers them, you know, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples on the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in heaven with power and glory. He continues, and I abbreviated here just for the sake of brevity, but he says, but about the day or hour, no one knows when, therefore keep watch. And that also is consistent with the word Doug had earlier, that what we're supposed to do is be alert. Now, a couple things on, on the passing of the ages. When, when Jesus came, the, the rules changed. Prior to the arrival of Jesus, the, the people of God were, in, in a sense, losing the fight. Okay? They were trying and trying different means to move forward in God's presence that were not working for them. And so when Jesus came, the kingdom of God came with him and the rules changed. And when he comes again, that's when that present, this present age ends, the new age begins, and all bets are off. When will that be? Well, we don't know when that will be. All right? We, we, are, to, we, we are to occupy. We are to be prepared. We are to watch until then and do some other things, be watchful and alert. But we don't know when it will be. And it's silly to me. I've had, it's, it amazes me. I've had two conversations in the last two weeks, whereas people have asked me, well, what do you think? Is this the time? I got a text from a friend in California. Text said, sure has been raining a lot lately. Living in California. I wrote back and said, welcome to my world. And he wrote back, and I knew where he was going already. You think this is a sign of biblical prophecy and the coming of Je- the return of Jesus? And so I wrote back and said, depends on who you ask. Uh, but if you ask me, probably not. And uh, I said that because we've been in the end times for 2,000 years. It's rained before. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen next week. or tomorrow. It might, but I don't think so. That's just, that's just my suspicion. I have reasons for that. The point is, We don't know when it will be, but we do know what will happen. When Jesus returns, that's when that takes place. That's that's when the age ends and the new age begins. So, all of that to say this. So what about now? What are we supposed to do? How do we live our lives out? What does this mean to you and me? Why is the vineyard value kingdom theology and What possibly am I supposed to do with this understanding in my life day by day today? Do I, in fact, do I just do nothing and wait? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Do we just wait it out? Now, let me say, that is the conclusion that some Christians have come to. 
that we just went. Now, it's, it's not, I, I love what's happening uh, in, in some of the movements within the church today, especially with, among younger people, the generation that a lot of you are a part of, the, the emphasis on the environment, the emphasis on social justice, the, 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 the emphasis on, on ending hunger and ending poverty, because I really believe those things are more consistent with what we're supposed to be about than just waiting. Now, in the 60s and 70s, when I was your age, that was the protocol. It was. that what, Jesus is coming back soon. We'll just hang until he gets here. And you really didn't do anything except wait. And in fact, in the, in the 60s and 70s, the term Maranatha became very big. It was Maranatha Music, Maranatha Village. My wife went to the store the other day and she brought home some Maranatha peanut butter. Um, Maranatha is an Aramaic word. It's an obscure word. It's used once in the New Testament. It means the Lord comes. And so the idea, the thinking, the general protocol of the church was, we'll just wait until Jesus gets here. He's come back pretty soon, and, and you know, that, then everything will be better. And, 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 and you know, uh, I think the only sort of thing that we had to do in the meantime, maybe, was pray that he would get here quick, right? Now, let me say, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Everybody's had those days, right? You ever had those kind of days where everything is wrong and you just go, I just wish Jesus would come, right? Anybody ever had that day? So there's nothing wrong with, with praying that Jesus would come sooner. My point is this, that there's more. That's not what we're supposed to do. I want to present a second option. And, and the option that I want to present to you, I believe, is consistent. It's, it is consistent with the, the vineyard value of kingdom theology and practice. But I, I believe it's also very consistent with the teaching of the New Testament and the Bible. And it really is the point of everything I've told you up to, to now, what I wanted to get to. Um, that is that we live in a time in which both of those ages are happening. We live in the present evil age. The kingdom has come. It hasn't got here yet fully, but we can enter into it. And that's another study for you, is look at all the times when Jesus talks about entering the kingdom. We can enter it today. We can get into the, the place of God's kingdom. So here's what I'm going to do. This is, if you are an artist, graphic designer, anything like that, do not mock me. I have made a little chart. Thank you. So, the horizontal lines are time. The vertical lines are points in time. So, up to the left there, the fall is not summer, winter, spring, fall. It's the fall of man. Okay? Adam and Eve in the garden. At that point, sin entered the world, and the present evil age began. Got that? Throughout the Old Testament was the prophetic promise of the kingdom. Man lived in this place of sin and brokenness before God, but there was a prophetic voice that said, one day that will change. At the advent, the coming of Christ, the birth of Jesus, the age to come, the kingdom of light was born, but if you look at the arrow there, the kingdom of darkness continued. At the second coming of Jesus, the kingdom of light continues, the kingdom of darkness ends, and we enter into eternity, paradise, new heaven, new earth, however you want to characterize that. 
where you and I live is in that spot in the middle where the ages overlap. The already and the not yet, it's been referred to. Some call it the church age. Others will use the term the time between the times. Great illustration that I heard that's one of the best uh, that, that I have uh, ever heard that helps understand this is um, World War II. And, and I, I may have my facts a little wrong. If you're a history buff, you can correct me. But I believe that D-Day was June 6, 1944. D-Day was the day that the Allied forces invaded Normandy and essentially broke the back of the enemy. The war was over. But it wasn't really over. There was no way at that, from that point on that we would lose the war, we would win the war, but there were still skirmishes, there were still exercises, there were still battles going on that had to be finished before it was finally over. It wasn't until almost a year later, May 9, 1945, V-Day that Nazi Germany surrendered. So in between, the time between the times, essentially the war was over. Everybody knew who the victor would be. But the battle raged on. And that's where we live. The war's over. We know who wins. But the battle continues. The blue arrow that is going the wrong direction is the point of the message. And we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're praying is that that future reality, the new heaven and the new earth, no more tears, no more shame, no more crying, no more pain, that that would come into the life that we live today. We're asking for the presence of the future to be manifest in our lives and the lives of those around us. Even the next verse where Jesus says, and give us this day our daily bread is really a, a, a mistranslation. What it, what it really reads is, give us tomorrow's bread today. He's asking for the provision of God that will one day be complete to be present with us now. And every time, every time, see we talked about administrators of grace, every time we pray for someone, every time we give a box of food to someone that's hungry, Every time we extend the grace of God to those on the margins of society, every time we enact the kindness of God, we're bringing that kingdom presence into the kingdom of the future, into the present, into that person's life. That's why we pray that way. That's why we value kingdom theology and practice. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why when people don't get well, we still keep praying. That's why we don't allow the overwhelming need to say, let's just throw in the towel and give up. That's why we don't just wait. That, that's why it's important that we understand the administration of grace comes through your life and my life. We can actually take some of what God will one day have in its fullness for us and bring it into this world, this life, today, here and now. That's the, that's the point. That's the kingdom practice. That's why we pray for the sick. That's why we feed the that's why we do the things we do. And what we want, what we hope to see, what we live for, what we die for is more of that. Will it ever fully happen in our life? No. We'll, we'll never see it all. Will we see more of it? If we press in. If we call out. If we step out. If we live in faith, we'll see more. I, my friend Robbie Dawkins is crazy. And, and he just prays for people everywhere he goes. I read an article this week in, in the new edition of Cutting Edge Vineyards magazine, and the guy asked him, 
Robbie, not everybody can do what you do. And he said, yes, they can. He goes, you pray for people and they get healed. He goes, my percentage isn't any better than yours. I just pray for them. I loved it. He goes, no, he goes, he goes if you pray for one in ten, I, I get, and one person gets healed, I pray for 110 get healed. He goes, my percentage is no better than yours. I just do it all the time. I just do it all the time. That's it. I mean, that's, that's really what we're for. That's what we're about. So why don't we stand and we'll, we'll ask God to um, come be with us tonight. <coughs> Lord Jesus, um, I pray that you would help us to not only understand uh, the theology of the kingdom, the, 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 the motif of the New Testament, the way it was written, but that we would enter into the practice of the kingdom. That we would be kingdom people. That we would walk and talk the kingdom. That we would live the kingdom out. That the ground we walk on would be holy ground because we're there. That where we go, the kingdom of God would come. That you would infuse us with the presence and power, the authority of God. That we would watch, that we would be alert, that we would see those places in which the kingdom of God is needed and we would welcome it in. That you would empower us for that, Lord. That you would help us to rise above our own fears and insecurities. That you would just make us all a little bit crazy like Robert. So, Lord, tonight let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Here, today, this week, in our lives, right now.